0: You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning, church. That was super awesome. Good job. Good job. So this is that time of the year when about 100 people from our 11 o'clock service switched to our 9 o'clock service because of football. At least that's my theory. And uh, so we just want to welcome all of you who think the 11 o'clock is better. And, uh, and usually what you get at the 11 o'clock is you get more of my thoughts and ideas, and it's just like a little more free-flowing because I've been through it once and I feel less anxious. So anyway, welcome to the 11 o'clock service. If you're visiting with us today, it's a perfect sign to visit. We're kicking off a brand new series called Gotta Have Faith. Here's where the series comes from. We're going to go through the book of... Genesis through the outline of Hebrews 11. And if that didn't confuse you, just keep coming back. So basically what happened is I was sitting at a church service at the church I grew up in. The pastor who was my pastor is now retired, was teaching was about, I don't know, a few months back. And uh, he was going through Hebrews 11, and the Lord just spoke to me. He was like, man, we all need to remember who these heroes are. And it dawned on me, I don't know if all of my people know who these heroes are. And so the only way for me to tell you who these heroes are is to teach you about who they are. So we're literally using Hebrews 11, and we're going to go through Genesis. But what that means is we're going to be missing big, major characters or stories in the book of Genesis because we're covering their outline. But we're going to be talking about characters. You're like, I don't even know. Who is Enoch? And why is he relevant? He literally gets just a few verses in the Bible, but he's in Hebrews 11. So we're going to cover him and miss some other big characters, but that's just the way it's going to go. So what I would encourage you to do is pick up a Bible somewhere and uh, start reading the book of Genesis. I recommend a chapter a day, but if you want to do two, say you get lost or confused as to what's happening or why, just keep reading it as we go. You'll get through it in about a month. That's going to take us a few months to get through it, but you can always start back over, and just move on from there. But then you'll have some context to those other stories and what we're talking about as we do this. So, before we go any further, let's just pray real quick, ready? God, would you speak to us today? We come here looking for a word from you, Lord, and that word could be uh, something we need to know, something we need to grow in, something we need challenged by, something we need encouraged about. So God, I pray, I've, I've put a message together, I know where I'm going, I know what I'm gonna say, but I don't know how you intend to connect it to our lives. So God, I pray for every man, woman in here, adult, young, doesn't matter, God, would you come and speak to us and encourage us that we could leave having had a conversation with you? And we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's just jump right in. Ready? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says this. Now faith is confidence of what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. So first, right off the bat, what we get is this idea of hope hope is not what many of you are hanging on to as school starts. Like, I sure hope my kid graduates one day. I sure hope my kid makes lots of money and can take care of me in retirement, right? Or I, I hope my sports team does decent. I sure hope the Colts actually make the Super Bowl this year, right? Whatever it is you're hoping for, that is not the biblical concept of hope. The biblical concept of hope is I am banking on everything that God says about who he is who he is, what he's done in the world and what he's gonna do in me through this world and what he's gonna do in the world that is to come. So hope in the biblical sense is a confidence in what God has promised he has done and will do. And that comes out as you follow us through because we hope for, we have assurance about what we do not see right? So our hope is not just, oh, I hope. It's faith. It's trust. It's anchored in something. And this is what the ancients were commended for. And that's what we're going to look at, these ancients, these heroes of the faith that's listed throughout the rest of this chapter. We're going to study those through the book of Genesis. The next verse says, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. This is a little, I think it's a Latin word that it's called ex nihilo, or some say ex nihilo. And the whole idea here is that God took nothing and he made something. See, every time we create, whether we use Legos or wood or clay or flowers or whatever it is, or human beings, every time we create, we're taking what God has already made and we're manipulating it, we're using it, we're we're, we're leveraging it. That is one thing, one major thing that sets us apart from God. God made us in his image. It says in Genesis chapter two, I think it's right at the end of chapter one, but he did that because he wanted us to reflect who he is in the way that we live. However, everything we make comes from what he made. When he made, he made from nothing. So what we're gonna do through the rest of this message is we're gonna study the idea of God as a creator. I originally was gonna make this two separate messages and I was gonna go really deep, and I was gonna do a deep dive. And I don't know if you've ever heard the old Greek story about Pandora's box. And the whole idea is Pandora's box is the ancient Greek way to try to explain where evil and chaos came from. The Bible has that same kind of story, except for it doesn't involve a box. It's found right in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, and it has to do with evil and sinning against God. But in the Pandora's box story, there's this box, and when you open it up, all this evil and chaos comes out. And then the problem for the rest of the, the kind of the story is, how do I get it all back in the box? And I use that same analogy of this sermon, because originally I was going to do two weeks. We we're going to do a deep dive on science and creation. And honestly, my, my schedule was just too busy. It was just too stressful, and I didn't have the time. So we did an extra one in Psalms and decided to do one on creation because I thought, I'm just going to keep Pandora's box closed. I'm not going to open it and not have time to go there and then leave people with more anxiety. However, this message will probably be an equal opportunity offender message. I will go over plenty of things today that, that just kind of maybe challenge you in one way or another, depending on whether you're on this, this extreme or that extreme of this topic. I will do everything I can to tell you when I am looking at scripture and when I'm telling you what God's word says and I'm confident in that, when I'm sharing my opinion, I will do everything I can to say, this is my opinion and you are free to disagree with me and be wrong. Either one is your choice. I'm joking, take a deep breath. So I say this because most of us have been trained in a secular natural worldview. It's what's being taught in our schools, it's what's taught in your college classes, unless you went to a private Christian school, or perhaps were homeschooled, or perhaps went to some sort of Christian education in college. And I say that because I don't have all the answers. My degree is in Bachelor's of Science and Bible and Ministry, and uh, I don't have a doctorate in science. I'm not an expert in any of these things. I'm just a guy who likes to study and is going to talk to you about the things that I've looked into, and I would only ask you to just keep an open mind and open heart for the rest of the message, All right. Let's go ahead and jump in. Genesis chapter one, one says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created. So right in the very beginning, we see God created and he created the universe as Hebrews already told us. He put everything into place. Nothing was there. He put it there. Now, the reason that's a powerful is because what it means for us today. Have you ever noticed in yourself that you connect with God when you're somehow connecting with creation? And it's different for everybody. Some people are dog people or some people are cat people, Right. You ever notice that you just when you're just spending time with that animal, you just love it. Some of you are outdoors people and you just when you go outside, you just love it. Like you go camping and hunting and hiking or boating or fishing, and there's just this connection. Some of you think, why in the world would anybody do that? But you can love to look at the stars and the moon, and you love to hear the sound of thunder and rain outside, not when you're in it, but outside. You love to hear the birds singing. Perhaps you love to look at dolphins jumping through the waves or whatever it is. You love to turn on National Geographic and see stories about wolves or whatever your thing is, but have you ever noticed that you enjoy creation? And there's a reason. I love this quote from Mark Driscoll and Gary Beshears in the book Doctrine. He says this, according to the scriptures, creation is a gift from a loving creator God. From the bodies we inhabit, the air we breathe, the sun we bask in, the food we eat, the flowers we pick, the water we drink, the ground we walk upon, the pets we love, to the pleasures we enjoy and destinations we visit on vacation. Life is filled with good gifts for us to steward and enjoy. And that would be my perspective about like the whole message. That's a great summary of this entire message. Because God desires for you to find pleasure and joy in his creation. He also desires for us to be stewards of that creation. Because we're stewards of that creation, I see myself constantly on duty. So I'm one of those people that if I see trash outside the church or on a beach often I will stop and pick it up. I'm just one of those people. And I know you may argue, oh, it doesn't really do much, it doesn't really help. I get it, I'm just a steward. I can't solve the whole problem, I'm just one piece. This is one reason why my wife and I recycle. And before you tell me all the reasons why recycling is a big waste of money or time or whatever, I have no idea what they do the recycling once it leaves my house, I have no idea. And so if you have some great article, do me a favor, send it to bcadwell at (laughs) kingswaychurch.org. He will handle it from here. Love you, Brett. But I don't know. I only know that I am responsible in my own tiny little way for what happens in this world. This is my creation to steward, but I'm not big enough to handle all of it, so I can only handle the parts that are mine to handle. This is also why I'm the guy, if you see me driving on the road, I'm gonna swerve to miss an animal, not hit an animal. Don't get me wrong. I love everybody in here who hunts and I'm glad that you do. And I want to eat everything you kill after it's cooked or catch or whatever it is you might do. It's like, I'm not, I'm not a vegan, I'm not a vegetarian and God bless you if you are. No problem. Adam and Eve almost guaranteed were probably vegans or I don't know the difference. So anyway, I'm not going to go there. Anyway, my whole point is I want to love God's creation and you don't have to agree with me on this one. This is not hard and fast. Everything I do is what you should do. What I would say though is we are stewards of God's creation. So we are to enjoy it. We are to manage it. We are to care for it. This is where it's okay to be procreation. You will constantly hear me use that word though, creation. And you will often not hear me use the word nature. We'll get to that. There's some things I want to cover quickly. I believe there's five, maybe six of these. I want to cover very quickly. We got to go fast because it lays a foundation for what I really want to say to you in the last three things at the very, very end, right? First thing I want you to know is this. The Bible is true in every way. And that's really, really important for us to know. So as we're reading, it's not like, well, this person says this, the Bible says this, either one could be right. We at Kingsway believe the Bible is true and is trustworthy. In fact, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says this, all scripture is God-breathed. This is not a sermon on how that works and what that looks like and how to interpret that. Even this morning, I got a text from my sister. One of her friends posted something on Facebook, and it was messing with her faith. And so I texted her back quickly and said, here's some things to consider. Here's some things that I write. Here's some things that are wrong. I don't have time to go any further. She's like, wow, I can't believe you're writing me like right before your services start. I love my sister. I care deeply about my sister and her faith. I don't want her faith being shook by anything. This is why I do trust the Bible. I do. I do. It's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God desires to equip you to be effective in this world. And you can trust he's not lying to you, he's not deceiving you, and he spoke and wrote through people over the ages so that you would know what God desires from you. In fact, we have a statement in our statement of faith. It's not the whole statement, it's just part of it. It says this, both the Old and New Testaments are the inspired truth infallible and authoritative word of God, sufficient for our knowledge of salvation and living. So how to be saved and how to live as a result of being saved. All our beliefs come from the Bible, which reveals God's truth to us as his love letter to man. So when you open your Bible, it's God trying to say something to you. But that means something. Because like, what do I do when I'm being taught this thing, perhaps in the world or in science class, but my Bible seems to say something different. What do I do with that? Let's just deal with that quickly, very quickly, and realize we're gonna to try to hold down Pandora's box as best as we can, all right? Second thing I want you to know is this. Christianity and science are not in conflict. They're not. It may feel like they are, but they aren't. I promise, they really, really are not. Let me give an example. <clears throat> so as Christians, we believe that God's creation reveals his character. I'll read you some verses later in the message that show that a little better. But we believe the creation reveals the character of God. Therefore, you could count on certain things happening over and over and over again. Have you ever noticed that the sun sets over and over and over again? And then it rises over and over and over again? Have you ever noticed that you can actually track it? Like you can actually, okay, if you're like me, you actually have apps that tell you what time the sun's gonna rise, what time the sun's gonna set every day, and how can they possibly know that? If it were random, you wouldn't know that. Have you ever noticed that water boils at the same temperature yesterday, today, and tomorrow? It's these beliefs that come from actually a foundation that God is a creator God as Brett and we already saying earlier that God is the same God. We can trust him in his character. He's never changing. So we can lean into him because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he created certain rules and laws that guide and govern our world so that we can trust those. I love Marvel. I love superheroes. I've always thought to myself, like, man, wouldn't it be great to fly? But I can't figure out the physics components of flying. Like Superman raises his fist and he starts flying. Does that mean every time he raises his fist, he starts flying? Like, what if Superman came into a worship service and was super moved by something and he went, yes! Would he just like shoot up through the ceiling? Like, is that how that would work? Or is there something, like, does he have to think it or does he have to push really hard? Like, what are the mechanics of that? But the reason why some of us can't fly and some of us can is because it's inconsistent. Have you noticed that while some of us are faster and some of us are stronger and some of us are smarter and some of us are all of them, have you ever noticed, I'm joking, have you ever noticed, have you ever noticed that we're all kind of in the same vein? It's because God built the world with certain rules and laws that govern things. And in fact, cultures who don't have that belief system actually struggle to progress. Because if the gods are constantly changing or untrustworthy, then how do I anchor anything I believe in the world? See, science and the Bible aren't really in conflict. What is in conflict is the third point. There is a critically important conflict between Christianity and scientific naturalism. And this is where I'm outside of my field of expertise. So anything I say that's wrong, please just wash it in grace. I would love to hear about it. But scientific naturalism is big picture, big broad strokes here. The whole idea that things have always kind of operated the same. And so all phenomena can be explained in fact, all phenomena can be shown to you in some sort of lab or experiment. See, there's a tension even between point two and point three. We do believe there are laws that are consistent, but as Christians, we also believe in phenomena known as miracles. And i got to tell you, I have been so influenced by I'm gonna say the world. I don't know what else to say. When I have doctors in our church and ER docs and, and even private care physicians and others in expertise, and they'll text me or send me an email saying, Man, I got this really cool story. This person experienced a miracle. Well, I know it was a miracle. And there's a part of me that goes, Yeah, but was it? I mean, like, do we know? Like, did you run enough tests to know? It's not that I don't believe in miracles. I'm just skeptical. And that's my own flesh getting in the way. But as Christians, we do believe God created everything out of nothing. That's a miracle. See, for years, people actually believed the universe was eternal. It just always was. But we know, even science has shown, that it didn't always exist. But it creates a tension because even while scientists say at some point, everything you know exploded onto the scene, and we could disagree and talk about years and all that. We'll get to that in just a minute, but just for a moment. But see, as Christians, we believe nothing was an accident. Everything was done with unbelievable intentionality by a creative and good and loving God who desired to build a place for us to thrive. It wasn't like, oops, we happen to show up on the one planet that just happened to have all the right fine-tuning to make life exist. No, we believe there's unbelievable intentionality. So the conflict here is you can't prove that in a lab. And so if you take God out of the picture and everything has to be described or explained, you run into problems because God can never be the explanation then for what happened or why. Even in the New Testament, we see this tension sometimes as uh, there's this one story where Jesus is asleep on the boat, he's tired, and the storm pops up on the Sea of Galilee, and it just overwhelms the disciples, many of whom are fishermen, And so they know how to handle it, and they're overwhelmed. And they wake up Jesus because they're like, we are bailing water as fast as we can, and the ship is about to sink. How can you sleep? And Jesus wakes up, and he doesn't grab a bucket. He walks over to the edge of the boat, and he goes, be still. And all of a sudden, it says, and the waters were calm. I mean, you know, if you just jump into a swimming pool, it disrupts the waters. It takes time to calm down. Imagine a massive storm, and it says immediately everything went calm. And even the disciples go, "Uh uh-oh. Who is this that he could speak in the wind and the waves obey? See, that would be a phenomenon. That would be a miracle. It's unexplainable. It doesn't follow the laws of science. You can't recreate it. Now, you could say it didn't happen. You could say you didn't believe it, and I would understand that. If you were visiting with us, especially, you're not sure about this God guy, I get it. But there were a group of men back then who said, I was there, and it happened, and it changed me enough that I was willing to die for my faith because what I saw made me not afraid. I gotta keep moving because of time. There's more to be said, but there is conflict here. Fourth, and this is gonna, while some of you are like, yeah, amen, brother, preach it on that one. Some of you are like, now wait a minute, pastor, on this one. The Bible was not written with the intention of being a modern scientific textbook. It wasn't. And what that means is you may have questions you never find answers to. And that's part of the reason it's called faith. The Bible does actually talk a decent amount about science. One of the Psalms says, the heavens declare the glory of God. In Job, God says he calls the stars by their names. I believe it's in Job. There are lots of things that are said in the scriptures. And there's no conflict between them and reality, but there just isn't a lot. And so we have questions about things we don't have answers to. So some of you, that's great. Like, ask those questions. There are amazing websites I can and will point you to in just a moment um, hang on for a minute. But even if you never find the answers to those questions, it's okay. Now, some of you are like, I'm content to move on. I don't even understand why I have to spend a whole Sunday on this, Pastor. Part of the reason I'm spending a Sunday on this is because I get questions like this. I recently had a dad come to me and he was hanging out with his daughter at, at a museum and he saw some things. His daughter said, now, wait a minute. I thought the Bible said this. And this dad went, oh my gosh, I've literally never thought about that. And he reached out and he's like, what do I do? Like, what do I do with this? And I'm like, uh, let me point you to some great websites. <laughs> There's no way we're going to cover this one quickly. Recently, uh, we had a young man in our church, and he was teaching in one of the little kids' classes. My kid was in that class. My son is eight years old, and my son just literally looked at him and said, "That's not right." <laughs> and uh, Preacher's kid, you know how he could be. And uh, he's like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "No, no, no." This, and he, they just—my son started to teach him what my wife and I are teaching them. And uh, this guy sent me an email, and he's like, "He wasn't mad at all." He's like, "Okay, listen, I." I don't know if I'm right or wrong, to be honest. I figure you're my pastor and I trust you and you've never led me astray, so can you help me understand why your son said this when I've always been taught this? And I said, you know, I don't have all the answers, um, but I'll tell you what, why don't you go look into the, here's some good articles, here's some good links, why don't you go read these and just see what you think? And he wrote back and was like, wow, I've read a whole bunch of more stuff at those websites. That was really helpful, thank you. The reason this is important is while there are good answers out there, the Bible will not give you all your answers. The Bible is not intending to teach your science class today. The Bible's big arc is to tell you who God is, what God's like, what he wants to do in the world, what he's doing to redeem you and save you. Have you noticed that the story of creation takes like a couple pages and that's it? And then he immediately gets into the story of Adam and Eve and what God's doing there and then the fall and then the redemption and and then it all leads to Jesus. Like there's a lot of stuff written with just a tiny little bit about creation. And that's important because that leads to the fifth point. A person's view of when God created is not the test of salvation. You can stand here today and believe that the world is billions of years old, or you could believe it's one day old. You're gonna have a really hard time convincing me of that one. But you could believe anywhere in between there and be comfortable at Kingsway. It's pretty rare that I even do a sermon on this because it is not a salvation issue. And we have to be careful that we don't make it a test of salvation, it's important. Since people ask me all the time where I land, I'll just say it. I think the world is probably something like six to 10,000 years old. And some of you out there immediately think I'm an idiot. And some of you think I'm an idiot because I said up to 10,000. And some of you think I'm an idiot because I didn't say 10 billion. And what I could say is if you're one of the people who thinks I'm an idiot, man, take a number, you know? Feel free to give me a hug in the hallway and whisper in my ear, I love you, but you're an idiot. And I'll hug you back and say, yeah, you too. All right, anyway, (laughs) I mean that at all. You hear the laughter. If you're visiting with us, it's because, listen, I don't have all the answers. Here's the way I would describe this. There are close-fisted issues, close-handed issues. And these are issues that are not up for debate. They're not up, we'll discuss them all you want, but they're not up for debate. Things like Jesus is Lord. I will not change that. You will never convince me of anything else. We could discuss it all day long, but you will not convince me otherwise. And this church will preach that and teach that to the last day. Jesus is the only way to heaven and everybody must go through him to be saved. There is no other explanation and no other way to salvation. We will preach that and teach that. That is a closed fist topic. All the other topics, that's not the only two, but I don't have time to go through them all. All the other topics, they're open-handed. Now they may be open-handed to different degrees. So I would call those other issues primary There are secondary issues. Secondary issues are anything that we disagree with, say, another church about, and we feel very passionately, and they feel very passionately. We're going to spend eternity side by side, but we're so passionate about the subject, we probably need to worship at separate locations. We'll encourage each other from afar. And those are secondary issues. And this happens at Kingsway all the time. I'll use one example, and even this one causes some stress in the room. I get it. But I'll use the issue of Baptism. Here at Kingsway, we only baptize by immersion. And we have have a a, a ground that everybody stands on. So if you come to us and you've been sprinkled, we say, praise God for the foundation, praise God for your faith that led you to Kingsway. If you wanna become a member at Kingsway, we're gonna ask that you be immersed because everybody at Kingsway is immersed. But I do not personally believe that everybody who's been sprinkled is not saved or is going to hell. But our convictions about baptism lead some people to say, I just can't worship at Kingsway. And I say, I get it, I totally get it. And go in peace. And I hope you find a church that helps you grow. And you know, it won't be as awesome as here, but you know, whatever. I'm kidding again. I'm kidding. Then there are what we call tertiary or third issues. That's tertiary, third. And tertiary issues are things that everybody's got an opinion about. And you know what opinions are like, right? Everybody's got one, most of them stink. So the thing about, Tertiary issues is like maybe like the second coming of Jesus. I studied it for 15 months. I got really passionate. I did a series on it, but I have no idea if I'm right. When Jesus comes back, I'll say, ha look, I was wrong. Whatever, I don't care. You could be here and have an opinion different than mine, and I will try to tell you all day long. I put this issue in the tertiary category. It's not a primary topic. It's not a salvation issue. You do not have to agree with me to be saved. I don't even put it in a secondary issue. I don't even think you need to leave Kingsway because you disagree with me about this one. But if you ask me, I think, The world is probably six to 10,000 years old. And you may say, how in the world do you get there? Well, there are some great ministries and websites that can help you with that. I'll give you one in just a moment. Here's a quote from one of those websites. This is from a gentleman named Jake Hebert. I think that's how you say that. And uh, he's a PhD. And he wrote an article discussing light from distant stars. Like if light really does travel at 186,000 miles per second, How can we possibly see light from distant stars and the universe only be, say, six to 10,000 years old? How is that even possible? And so he was just discussing different ways to understand that in this article, great little article. But he says this, the creation week was a time of unique supernatural activity, and we can't expect to understand everything about it. In fact, we can't expect to understand most of it. And I thought, I love the humility of that. I mean, I have a BS. Everybody knows what that stands for, right? (laughs) Bachelor of Science. Well... This guy's got a PhD. He is piled high deep in it. And he's humbly, admitting, he's humbly admitting that he doesn't understand all of it, okay? So let's have a lot of humility with each other when it comes to the subject. i got to move fast. So here's a, two websites I recommend. ICR.org, ICR.org and AnswersInGenesis.org. Both are great. I like ICR better. You can do what you want with that. If you're looking for more information, go to either one of those. All right, here's three things we can all agree on, okay? The scriptures are super clear on these. Three things we can all agree on. Number one, ready? Creation testifies to God's character and expectations. Romans chapter one, Paul writes this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. And I don't want you to miss this. What Paul is saying very clearly, and you can read all Romans 1, get the context here, is there are things about God we can know from what is revealed in his creation. And there are people in our world who are suppressing the truth in order to promote lies. That's part of what I was trying to communicate to my sister this morning about the text she sent. My sister's Jen. Jen, they're... We should not be surprised because one of the things in this article she sent me was someone saying, well, there are scholars, Christian scholars who say this. I'm like, yeah, would you be surprised that Satan has created people with certain degrees in order to say things that deceive? Of course. It's one of the ways he tries to trip up the saints. That doesn't mean I have all the answers or I have it all figured out. That doesn't mean I'm right about everything that's my opinion. Of course not. I'm not saying I am. But I I do believe what Paul is trying to say is there are people who suppress the truth because they don't want the truth to be known because then they'd be accountable. And here's what he says next. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. What Paul is simply saying in in the bigger context of Romans, which we're gonna study one of these years, in the bigger context of Romans, he's trying to make the point that when we stand before God in judgment, Nobody will have an excuse, no one. God's character, God's qualities, everybody should have known there was a God and should have known to an extent certain things about him because he revealed it in his creation. Second thing then, this is Paul makes this point throughout Romans, but Jesus fully reveals the creator. The whole idea here, well, let me just show you the verse. The whole idea here in Colossians chapter one says this. The son, as Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God. I believe the scriptures reveal that God sits in unapproachable light. Paul writes that in another place. I've been toying with this idea in my mind because I'm trying to wrap my mind around like what does God look like? And we're told throughout the scriptures not to make any image of God because no image you could make could reflect him because every image is a created thing and he is uncreated. It seems when you look at scriptures that nobody has ever seen God. In the Old Testament, when they show the angels who are closest to God, they are looking down and away from Him. It's almost like they can't handle His glory, His weight, His power. And so when the scriptures say over and over and over again, things like this, that Jesus has made Him known to us, or another place it says, um, Jesus, who is the only one who has ever seen God, has made Him known, or when it says, Jesus is the exact representation of Him, I think it means it literally. No one has ever seen God except Jesus, and he has made him known to us. And what's even more powerful than that, not only is Jesus everything we need to know about God, look at what it says. He's the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created. So when God created the heavens and the earth, he did it through his one and only son, Jesus. Jesus is the actual creator. He did the creating, which is even more powerful when you think about the fact that he died on a cross. The creator took on flesh, dwelled among us and let us kill him. He let us do that. Paul goes on. It says, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him. And for him, he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. So this is the big point. Like, if you don't get anything else, get this. The reason we worship him is because he created all things, and in him is everything we need. So when I have a medical need, cancer or or I don't know, heart attack or or, or some crazy you know, thing going on in my DNA, I come to him. And whether he uses medicine or miracle, I don't care. I entrust myself to him. But because that's not the end of the story, because he died on a cross and rose from the dead, he promises to redeem this body. One day we're all going to die. And so I can come to him and say, God, even if your answer is no, I trust you with my life. The very next passage, the very next verse, he says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have his fullness well in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. All things on earth get reconciled through our creator, Jesus, who became our savior when he died and rose again. So I don't know where you are today and maybe you didn't need some big science lesson on creation, but you need to know your creator. And the reason that's so powerful is this very last point that I wanna leave you with today. One day, all of creation will bow and reverence and sing and worship to our creator. In fact, one passage of the Bible says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And here's the thing. We can either bow here in reverence and in awe and respect and say, you alone have power I don't understand. You alone have wisdom I can't comprehend. So I bow my life to you. We can either do that or we can wait till the last day through gritting our teeth and weeping and gnashing and say, why did I wait? Because here it's not too late. There, it's too late it's too late to make a life-changing decision to trust him and to follow him even when you don't have answers to your questions the book of revelation has so many images and things that I, i can't even get into right now but there's this powerful moment in chapter five where a scroll is brought forth by god and no one in all of heaven can open the scroll none of the spiritual beings none of the fleshly beings no one can open it and john is sitting there and he starts to cry Oh no, oh no, who's gonna be worthy to open the scroll? And suddenly the lion of Judah steps forth. And I think John sees a literal lion there. And like two verses later, that lion becomes a slain lamb. And we see Jesus both as the powerful creator, but vulnerable as a slain man. It's such a powerful statement. But when everybody sees the slain lamb, all of a sudden the angelic hosts and the and the heavenly hosts and the human hosts and everybody present just falls on their face before him. And they can't help but sing. They just start worshiping because here's their creator, and he died, and he rose again to give them life, and they don't know who else to sing to. Who else are they gonna give the praise and the glory to? And it says in Revelation 5, verse 12, then a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise Yeah And then John says and I heard every creature every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever Yeah yeah and then these living creatures are standing there and they all say, Hey man, what else are you gonna say? And everybody falls down and they worship the one who was slain for them, the creator. And we wanna do that right now. We just wanna ask you to stand. We're just gonna sing to our creator, the one with all the power as the lion of Judah, but to the lamb who was slain to save us. Let's give him our.